Hey everyone, welcome to Sick in the City, where Amanda and Mel, two sick chicks spilling the tea on chronic illness. We have a really great episode planned for you guys today. We are going to get deep into the facts about the COVID-19 vaccine, which we both are fully aware is a very sensitive topic. We are just going to try as hard as we can to present you guys with all the information possible, all the facts. We will not be going very, I say, intense in either in either direction. We will just be giving you guys information and just overall what you need to make a decision. So I just wanted to say that because we're not doctors. And I think that it's really important that we let you guys know that we'll be taking a lot of information that we found in studies, as well as a lot of information that Mel has just been researching and picking up from Sarah Ballantyne's podcast. And we will just be filling you guys in. So let's get started. Hey, Mel. Hi. And I do want to remind everybody, Sarah Ballantyne is Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, the Mm. creator and founder of the autoimmune protocol, which in my experience throughout my healing journey and my discovery of how food affects the body in regard to autoimmune disease comes solely based from her. She's one of, I think, the leaders of my community and Mm -hmm. and I have all of her books and I trust her. And I think the thing that I've really been struggling with the past couple of months is just finding doctors that I trust um, that understand the connection between everything in our environment and in our life to our body and how it affects our flares in our autoimmune disease. So for me, finally having these resources of these doctors or professionals that I trust in our community that are speaking out on this has been such a huge relief for me because I'm finally able to get the information and the facts that are kind of in a neutral zone, right? Like everything right now is very polarizing. And and that's a word that they used in their podcast as well, because it's like, we're not trying to steer you in one way or another. And that's the way I've been feeling lately is that all the media, everything has just been really, really overwhelming as far as trying to learn the facts and the real scientific information in order to make an educated decision. Right. Which is like anything else, right? Like I think, you know, you and I talk about this a lot, but in terms of just health and wellness and nutrition, there's a lot of voices screaming at you and it's really difficult to decipher which is the best one to listen to and just how to really get the right and correct information in order to make decisions. And I think that that's really what you and I both do in our practices and on our platforms is really just trying to provide evidence-based factual information and let our listeners, let our followers, let our clients make decisions based on that information. So I think that is what feels like the best approach for us. And and we feel pretty good about that. Can you just let everyone know what the name of their podcast is and and just kind of what what their podcast is about? Yes. So it's called The Whole View and it's Dr. Sarah Ballantyne of The Paleo Mom and Stacey Toth, who are both in the community of autoimmune wellness and believing that modern science and a real life approach to our health is how we can recover. And they both provide really valuable information in 
every aspect of life and they're not afraid to cover the hard topics, which is what what I appreciate about them. And I have spent the past week listening to six hour long episodes about the scientific information regarding the clinical trials and real world data about the COVID-19 vaccines. And just for reference, those episodes are episode 441, 443, 444, 455, and 440 of their podcast. And I highly recommend listening to them, but if you don't have almost seven hours of time to sit down and listen to it or understand a lot of like the clinical information that goes into play on their podcast, I've really tried to summarize everything and approach it with the main myths and questions I feel like I've been seeing the most and getting the most in my practice on social media and just try to hit you guys with the hard facts and hopefully we can keep this about an hour. I doubt yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll try. And I think, you know what, let's, let's kind of get the ball rolling with, let's talk about what's been happening over the past couple weeks and how we kind of are leading into this episode and, and why, because I think that's really important because you and I have mapped out a lot of different topics and there's so many things that we want to cover, but this was not one of them. And so this kind of hit us, I think over the head. So let's get into that a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I know both of us were, we, we've never wanted to really cover anything super controversial just because we're, you know, the peacemakers. We <laughs> like to keep things calm and, you know, neutral at all times. And this is probably the most popular topic right now in mm-hmm. every news outlet online anywhere. So like, we were like, we're not going to touch this with a 10 foot pole, but yeah, unfortunately, um, life has other plans for you and I. And um, a couple of weeks ago, two weeks ago today, exactly, I tested positive for COVID. And it was really unfortunate and very unexpected, especially because if anyone knows me in life, um, Mm -hmm. you know that I have taken every single precaution humanly possible to avoid this from happening as long as possible. And I mean, we wear N95s everywhere we go. We have not eaten inside a restaurant in a year and a half. I have only eaten on patios outside away from people. I have not taken a single vacation. Like I see people taking vacations left and right, traveling. I have not gotten on a plane in two years. Like I have stayed in my house like every day. Yeah. You literally drove across the country to avoid this situation. Yeah. You, yes. you, yeah, yeah. You have been really safe and, and I have been as well. And I, I think that when someone who is super, super cautious and really careful, I think it really does hit you like a ton of bricks, right? Cause you're just like, what did I do? What could I have possibly done more to avoid this. And then also the other side of it is the chronic illness question, because it is so difficult to, to figure out whether or not you have COVID when you are chronically ill person, because I know we're going to get into it a little bit, but you had just moved from Mm -hmm. New York city to upstate New York, which was not an easy move because you guys were dealing with obstacles left and right. And so you could easily just be like, I'm in a flare, I'm exhausted. And then you go, it's very difficult to figure out the difference between the two. And so I feel like even with me a few months ago when I was sick, right, we, I had come on to the podcast, like 
after that, I had only gotten tested once. It was negative. I just assumed I didn't have it because I was so careful, but I was so sick. I, it's just like, and you don't know. It's just yeah. crazy. No, it's impossible. I, I, I've been tested for COVID many, many, many times mm-hmm. because when I flare, it's pretty much the symptoms of COVID. Like yeah, for the most part. And the only reason I knew for sure it was a possibility that I had it is because my boyfriend tested positive a couple of days before my symptoms started. And just to give you guys the the whole picture, because I feel like it's important to share this information. And my boyfriend said that I was allowed to talk about it. <laughs> I didn't. So nice of you to ask permission. him. I never ask Rob. Maybe there's like a clause in, in marriage that that's okay. I'm like, well, our lives are, our lives are now open to all. I'm going to talk about our sex life. It's all happening. Yeah. So, sorry, boys. Sweet of you. <laughs> I'm going to put that in my vows one day. Like, sorry, like what we, what happens in our life is going to be on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> now we're married and now you're officially <laughs> it's open season for podcasting. <laughs> and luckily, I mean, I'm glad that he's comfortable with me talking about it because it, this has been a very, very emotional time for us. And I know that he might not have been because a big part of him felt like this was his fault, even though he has done everything in his power to avoid this. And he works at a very small company of like five people mm-hmm. and he wears a mask every day. Some of his coworkers do not, and not all of them have been vaccinated. So we automatically knew that like, you know, he was doing as much as he could to avoid this from happening. And and he kept his mask on at all times and sanitized everything everywhere he went. But his boss has a daughter who's in preschool and her preschool teacher found out she had COVID. And then a few days Mm. later, pretty much the entire class tested positive, Uh, which who knows how that happened. But two of his coworkers, his two bosses, both tested positive the same day Justin did. So he found out about it, panicked, thinking like, oh my God, like, oh my God, you know, worst case scenario, like I gave it to someone else is the fear, right? It's like, of course, that's probably the most stressful part yeah about this to be honest like was tracing back of like okay who have we seen who could yeah. we possibly infected calling them immediately and and our circle's very 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 small it's basically immediately family and unfortunately yep. my brother helped us move so we called him he had to take off work for a couple of days and he got tested every day for a week and luckily he did not get it thank god but i mean it was a huge worry huge and like I honestly thought I was just having an autoimmune flare simply because I was stressed out of my mind like yeah it was a crazy time it's really it's really tough and it's crazy being on on all sides of that right because I was one of those phone calls (laughs) that came from you and you know you're kind of like oh shit (laughs) like what then you kind of like wait for it to have like that's what I think it's kind of like when somebody you had dinner with gets food poisoning and then you sort of like wait until it happens to you you're like okay like what I'm watching the time when am I gonna get sick and that's kind of what it's like but you were tested negative first right and I think that's important to note as well because you could have taken that as a negative and moved on with your life, but you continued to get tested to, to find you were positive. Yes. Yeah. The same day Justin tested positive, I tested negative. 
So I was like, oh, okay, well, I don't have it yet. So then we quarantined. He stayed in in our bedroom um, by himself for the first couple of days. And I was out in the living room on our pullout couch. And yeah, having had- dinners via <laughs> FaceTime. FaceTime and Zoom, which is yeah. just adorable. Oh, God. It was like a long distance relationship again. Like I'm like, but on other sides of the wall, I was like, oh, so funny. You. But you're right there. And it was so funny because I could like hear him talking on the phone um, through the wall, like on yeah. top of hearing him on the phone. It was wow. That's like- so funny. After when you were telling me that I was Rob and I were talking about it and I was like, I think that's so cute that they did that. But if it was you or I, I'm like, we would not be quarantining. Like it, it, this is like one person goes down. We all go down. <laughs> like, <laughs> like one of us has it. We both have it. Like that's it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it's just, it was such a hilarious and stressful and ridiculous time. Yeah. I, I'm you so have glad to laugh, right? Oh yeah. No, we laugh. And like, I dropped his meals off at his door. And then I went to the opposite side of the house to like, when he opened the door with his mask on to pick up his food. And we watched like some of the same shows at the same time. And we're like texting each other. It was a whole thing. Yeah. And yeah, it was tough. And like my symptoms started two days after he tested positive and it was just kind of, muscle soreness and fatigue the first day it just kind of felt it felt like a flare 100 those were my flares and i didn't think much of it i was like well i'm just gonna rest i'm gonna take it easy and then the next day i had a bit of congestion and then i had a little bit of a headache and then the chills were what really gave it away for me because Mm. i don't typically have chills with autoimmune flares um and I would get chills and then put like a blanket on and then I would get really hot and start sweating. And it kept yeah. happening back and forth. And I had a low grade fever, which was like, it didn't get any higher than 100.1 or something. Mm-hmm. It was really low. So I was like, oh, you know, and I'm also about to start my period. So maybe it's from that. And sure. So I really was like, this could be just a flare, which would be wild. But part right. of me was like, well, if somehow I get through this, without getting COVID, I mean, I need to do the research to figure out if I can get a vaccine because it would be a miracle if I did not get COVID from my boyfriend who I live with and sleep next to. Like, yeah, totally. No, it's totally true. And I think, you know, a lot of people that listen to us that have chronic illness, like so many of the symptoms vary, especially people that have these illnesses that get reactivated like EBV or chronic Lyme. And so I can say, you know, for me, chills and low grade fevers are one of my symptoms. And actually this week leading up to getting my period, I was experiencing all of that. Like I was telling you, like I, I was, I was getting chills. Like I, and then I always wonder, am I sick? Do I have COVID or, you know, is it a chronic illness flare? And, and something that just is really interesting kind of about that is that I feel like there's a lot of people who like us, who maybe had been sick, you know, maybe it was COVID or maybe it was something else. Like I found out later that being sick when I was sick in March or whenever that was, it was, it was mono. I don't know if it was like reactivated or whatever, but like I, it was totally ignored and brushed under the rug because COVID was going on and there was like no other sickness allowed. Like it was either COVID or you're fine. 
Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, you're not really sick. It's no big deal. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like there's no colds. Like nobody can just get the flu. Like you have COVID or yeah. you have nothing like that's how, or you're just chronically ill and it's a flare. Right. And so mm-hmm. I just think that that's like a good thing to call out was the fact that you did test negative first. And so that people like anything else are just continuing to push and not just take the first answer as, as the answer. Right. And I did decide to go back and get tested again three days later, three days after I had had symptoms because I started my period and I have never had such a heavy flow in my entire life. Like something was definitely off and I was like, whoa, okay. And I also weird symptom did not have any body odor. Like my, I know you kept telling me that. And I'm like, I've just been eating fruits and vegetables and I don't smell either. (laughs) Like, okay. I felt like I had to talk about it because it was really weird not having, maybe you just didn't have your sense of smell anymore. And maybe you did smell, (laughs) you didn't know. Oh God. We laugh because it's like scary, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, if we don't laugh, we'll just cry. So let's just, we like to keep it light, but yes, we do think that this is serious. We are taking it seriously, but like thank God Mel and Justin are okay. Like, let's just put that, that out there and yes. let's, let's kind of dive into you. Cause like now you are, you've been researching like crazy. You've gone into, you know, how do I prevent this from happening again as someone who has an autoimmune disease? Like what's going through your head now, like post getting the, the pandemic. So the things I did want to make sure I talked about were some of the things that I think really helped us because Mm -hmm. our symptoms were very mild. Like they came and went within about four or five days Mm -hmm. and both are dealing with some residual symptoms that have been sticking around. Um, I still have a tiny bit of a sore throat in the mornings and a little bit of congestion. And I feel like I just have to keep drinking water in order to like avoid having a bit of a cough or whatever. But what do you feel like are some things that have really helped you when you were battling it? There were a couple supplements I was taking double of, um, that I either normally take or don't take, but I had heard a lot from a lot of people that have had it or some of my doctors that have had it or experiences that Mm -hmm. they've had with their clients and patients. And some of the things I knew that helped were some natural anti-inflammatories and something that I did take was quercetin. And I took two quercetin a day as well as NAC, which is the precursor to glutathione Glutathione. and gone off the market, unfortunately. NAC is very, very helpful. And NAC has now been taken off of the over the counter market and supplement market and gone into more of a, you have to get prescribed it. It is devastating to the chronic illness community because it is a, this precursor to glutathione. So what I would say that you can do instead, because, you know, NAC is helpful for people that have COVID, right? So you can either take glutathione directly or you can do glutathione patches. I would just make sure that you're getting the highest quality glutathione. Also glutathione is in when you do a, do a coffee enema, that's what raises the glutathione in your liver. So glutathione is something that's created in your liver. It helps your body to detox. We make it ourselves. A lot of people who are sick and just generally just through life, we tend to not create as much as we would like to. And that's why NAC helps us to create that. But if you take it directly, it it is also helpful. So 
Yes. Instead of NAC, people can take glutathione um, and that would help as well. Yeah. And I was taking NAC and glutathione simply because I also know that NAC helps um, clear like mucus and break up mucus in the lungs. And that was something that I did notice was that my congestion, like no matter how much I was trying to get it up and like cough it out, it wasn't coming up. And right. I feel like that's like never happened to me when I have some kind of congestion. It's like, right. it typically can come out as long as I'm drinking enough water that you need to like get it out. Right. But for me, the reason that it was so scary getting COVID and the thing that I had been nervous about for a year and a half is that I have very low IgAs, which are immunoglobulins that help fight off invaders in like your mucosal linings. So like your lungs or your digestive tract or your urinary tract. And so I take a colostrum spray every day that helps. Okay. Yeah. It's from a company called Sovereign Laboratories. It's called bioidentical polypeptides. Okay. And it helps my body create more IgAs to help support my immune system. So I took like triple of that, to be honest. Like I had nobody telling me what to do. I was just like, okay, double the sprays. But that was something I know that I already take from day to day from my own immune system. So that's something Mm -hmm. you should absolutely talk to your doctor about if you're questioning or wondering about. But on top of those, I also was taking liquid vitamin D3 drops um, that I take every day as well, because I am forever low in vitamin D based on my genetic code. Oh, lucky. Is there anything to taking the spray liquid forms of colostrum or vitamin D, or is it just your preferred method of delivery of getting it? I just spray I mean, I know that your body can like absorb nutrients faster if it's in a liquid form, um, because it doesn't have to go through the process of like digestion, like a supplement would, but I take them and I, I drop them underneath my tongue and hold them there for 30 seconds and swallow. And I think you just get the benefits faster and more efficiently, especially if you're mm-hmm. dealing with digestive disruptors or whatever, but sure, um, makes sense. those are the things that I know helped us. But the thing that Justin was taking that sometimes we swear by the supplement, it's called source naturals wellness formula. And it's kind of the thing I recommend for people that don't take supplements or aren't into health or anything. It's like, if you feel like you're about to get sick, just pop some of these. And it's like, the longest list of antiviral, antibacterial, antifungal, herbal supplements. Like it's got, I know. I feel like every time Justin even like has a sniffle, you're like, he's like chowing down on his wellness formula. Yes. Like he keeps it like in his backpack because awesome. Yeah. It's just something it's kept him from getting sick for like years, to be honest. Cause every time he feels something coming on, he just takes them and he feels better the next day. Cause it helps his body like detox and it supports his immune system. So he was actually taking them before he even knew he had COVID, but it has like all those things that everybody has said are good for you when you have COVID vitamin C, vitamin D, zinc. Right. Um, it's got all the things. And, and I, I do think that it helped us avoid from having a worse case of coronavirus because it could have been way worse. And we're very lucky that, that we really made it out in one piece after about 10 days of quarantine. And we're both back to normal for the most part and moving on with our lives, but spending every waking hour this past week studying and researching these vaccines because now it's like, okay, how do we move forward with our lives and learn everything we can possibly learn to make 
an education. Right. And what's the, and the prevention, right? Like you don't want to go through this again or put anybody else in that position. And I think there's so many different views on this. And, and I just want to say again, I know we already said it, but this is really about information. It's about presenting the facts. We encourage you all to do the same. You know, we hope that there are things that you take from this episode that you find helpful in making decisions. And like Mel said, summarizing six to seven hours of clinical data and research that, you know, just sort of saves you from being able to do, you know, to having to do that. But I think that it's important that you are educated in making your decision. And that's what you really wanted. And I think both of us have had a lot of fears and for, for personal reasons, right? Like, you know, we're going to get into this, but anyone that I've spoken to that has an autoimmune is unsure of whether or not they're going to get the vaccine because they we're already dealing with so many health issues. What's going to happen when we put this foreign question mark into our bodies. And I think that's fair, right? Like it's a fair question. Like I, you know, it's, you don't want to put yourself through more, but then the same thing is with COVID, right? If you get COVID, what's going to happen? So like, there's a lot of questions. And then I will say, you know, we briefly talked about this before we got on, but you know, I have, am looking to try to get pregnant at some point, um, relatively soon, I would say under six months of, you know, I, we will be trying. So like, there's just a lot of questions as a young woman in how this is going to affect my body and our bodies in general. So I'm excited to dig in and just like, I feel like you're a wealth of knowledge now. So let's, let's get, (laughs) I have so much faith in you that you can, you know, share this information. And again, a lot of it came from either studies that we've done or from Dr. Sarah Bellantine's podcast. And so Mel and I just want to say that like, we (laughs) are not the sources and, you know, we're not sourcing ourselves. Like we have research and we're providing information and relaying it in easy, digestible bites for you guys so that it's easy for you to understand and implement the education in your own life and decision-making. Yeah. I made sure to really write down the most popular questions and mm-hmm. myths and theories and, and worries that I've had myself as well and made sure to gather all that information and hopefully what will be very easy to understand um, and hopefully help a lot of us make a decision for ourselves yeah. and feel more comfortable and confident moving forward into this next chapter of what was the pandemic, right? You know, we're all ma- ready to move forward and there are going to be people who aren't able to get the vaccine for health reasons and having like this big picture of like mm-hmm. who can and who shouldn't, I think will really help everybody just be more comfortable whether you're going to get it or not and help us get through this in one piece. Totally. Totally. And anecdotally, like, I think, you know, our wedding is coming up and we're going to be spending a lot of time with people and just overall people want to get back out there. The weather is nice. And, you know, I just have to kind of make a a little joke again, just trying to keep this light, but like, (laughs) you know, Rob was saying to me earlier that he is, you know, ready to move on, get it so that he, he's like, I want to get it so that I can start going out again and hanging Mm -hmm. out with people. And I was like, I 
did not hate quarantine at all. I could live like this forever. I'm so mad that I have to go places now. I'm like, oh, oh my God, God, I don't have an excuse anymore to not go to something. This no. sucks. <laughs> um, and I'm just oh kidding, God. but not, but not really. <laughs> Pro, pros and cons. We've all learned yeah. something after this past year and a half about ourselves, whether that be we're all actually antisocial um, <laughs> and enjoy yes. watching Netflix more than we enjoy going out. I mean, it's true. I really enjoy my, you know, TV relationships and I'm, I'm a homebody and I, I'm okay with that. I don't have a problem with it, but it was a lot more fun when everybody else was at home. Cause then it wasn't so obvious. Now it's like, it's obvious. Um, (laughs) so anyway, yes, let's, (laughs) let's, let's dive in. Let's let's, dive in. I think I wanted to start off by acknowledging that we are aware that vaccine injury is a real thing and that it has happened to a lot of people in our community with their Mm -hmm. kids, with themselves. And that is why I think sometimes this is a very sensitive topic for people because there are a lot of people that have gone through very scary moments with vaccines that Mm -hmm. we do want to acknowledge is real. To be honest, like I have always wanted to do research on this topic because I don't have kids. And so it's one of the things I haven't really spent much time diving into the information right. about, about this, right? Cause it's, it is real. It has happened. And so just easing into this topic with that in mind that that can happen and that the statistics are very low in that happening. Mm-hmm. But that's why it is so important to prioritize liver health and immune health before getting any vaccine and making sure you're getting enough rest, drinking enough water and prioritizing nutrient dense food to prepare your body to detoxify any specific normal vaccination in life. Right. And what could you just explain a little bit for everyone, like what defines a vaccine injury? Is that illness-based? Is it more, you know, somebody actually, like, is it actually like an organ going down? Like what, what is the range for that? Like, how do they actually classify? From what I understand, and I, this is not something I have done the medical research on. Um, but from what I understand, it's kind of like an overload of, of vaccination, in the immune system that like it can't handle all of it at once, right? Like if somebody were to get like six or seven or 10 or however many vaccines at the same time, like our immune system has to have like the strength and power to like do what it needs to do. Um, And if it's overloaded by all of that, including certain things that our body needs to detoxify, it can result in like toxicity overload, Mm -hmm. right? Like, and, and what comes with that, you know, fatigue, um, brain fog, total like. Right. Right. Chronic fatigue syndrome, like CFS is so I'm like, it's interesting because the things like chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia and some of these more, I would say broader terminology for chronic illness, usually they are the result of a virus or something viral. So I think it's important that we sort of keep that in mind as we're talking about this, because the thought is that long term COVID longstanding COVID chronic COVID, which may, it might become at some point, like we're living EBV, right? We're, we're living Lyme. 
are usually caused by things like EBV and Lyme. So those things are usually caused by a virus. And that's how a lot of autoimmune tends to come to be like it. There's genetic pieces, but there's also a, a viral piece. And so I, I do want to kind of keep that as top of mind as we're talking about this, but because the question is on the head of anybody that has autoimmune or inflammatory, it's like, what's worse getting COVID and having that or getting the vaccine and having that. So I think knowing that maybe the chance is low or whatever the percentage is for getting that injury piece, like will help people make that decision. Mm -hmm. And it's statistically extraordinarily low. And I think hearing the statistics, it's, it's more so in the one in a million kind of case that happens to that one person that talks about it, like in the media. And and then it scares like the whole country, the whole world, you know, it's like, it's not as common. And as long as you are aware of the potential side effects versus reactions, it can help you feel more comfortable understanding your risks. Right. And, and we just wanted to let people know that like, we are not on that. We are not on either side of like the opinion or we just are in the middle here to give you the facts. And the fact is that that can be a real thing. Right. So easing into the next question, which is what is an MRNA, which MRNAs are this new science that is the Pfizer and Moderna vaccinations. And it stands for messenger ribonucleic acid. Damn girl. (laughs) That was good. Oh my God. Thank you. Wow. Big words, right? Um, (laughs) I mean, I struggle to say my chronic illness. You should hear me in grad school. Some of these medical words are difficult. So good for you. Thank you. Pat on my back. Um, (laughs) Again, all of this information with you I'm about to share has come from Dr. Sarah Valentine. I have personally reached out to her and asked her questions about all of this and listened to her podcasts. And if you, we will link more information on her podcast in our episode notes. So what she says about the mRNAs is that it functions as a set of instructions to make a protein, which is the intermediate step between DNA and the protein it encodes. There is no live or dead virus in this vaccination and is the first of its kind to not contain an adjuvant that riles up the immune system. So in the past, there are a lot of vaccines that have something called an adjuvant because if you're getting this dead virus in your body, your immune system is not going to react to that to create like what it needs to like the antigens. Right. Right. It's nothing. It's nothing to them without, without that. Like it's to them as in your immune cells, right? Like they, you know, because that's, what's recognizing these various things. So most vaccinations have something called an adjuvant in it, which as an example, sometimes can be things like aluminum, Mm -hmm. which causes an immune reaction that helps your body develop the antigens against the virus that is in the vaccine. Okay. So these mRNAs are the first of their kind that do not contain an adjuvant. So for me, that was pretty exciting because I was like, oh, well. Cool. Because why detox aluminum out of your body? Yes. Like we spend so much time getting rid of heavy metals and then put it back in with a, like with a vaccine. So that's amazing. Yeah. And it's very exciting. It's very exciting science. 
which is pretty cool. And I'm kind of like nerding out about it, which is not normally like me. But But what does it use instead? I think that's like, so how does it activate the immune system otherwise? It's giving the body the like instructions to make a protein. So like, so it's like programming. Yeah. It's giving your body the information on how to create the antibodies against the virus. So one of the questions that I felt was important was why the vaccines can create longer immunological memory Mm -hmm. than actually getting COVID itself. Okay. Because I know a lot of people, especially me now that I've had COVID, some people are like, oh, well, you don't have to get the vaccine now. And I'm like, and I'm like, is that real? And that's why I wanted to dive into this question because I've heard people say that. But something interesting about coronaviruses is that they're able to manipulate our immune systems to evade detection. So the antibodies are stronger after the vaccine as opposed to after infection because it doesn't manipulate the immune system. So coronaviruses are able to like be sneaky and manipulate the immune system so we don't create as many antibodies that way from just having COVID as opposed to getting the vaccine. Wow, that's really fascinating. I just want to kind of just like level set everybody and ground everybody in what we're what we're kind of talking about when we're talking about the immune system. On our last episode, we went through the adaptive versus the innate immune system. When we're talking about memory of the immune system, we're referring to the adaptive immune system. The reason is because that's the immune system that has that programming or special, it's like muscle memory, right? Like what happens is, is that it remembers how to act when something comes in its path. So that's why people that have certain autoimmune, like let's take, let's take RA, for example. So you have rheumatoid arthritis, your adaptive immune system is chronically reacting to triggers against your joints, right? It starts attacking your joints. And like, that's, that's what's happening. So when we're talking about vaccine and we're talking about long-term effects of COVID, that's the immune system that part of the immune system that we're talking about. And that's why it's important for people that have autoimmune because your immune system is already reacting against something. So it sounds like these vaccines, the MRNA vaccines, what they do instead of putting a trigger into your body, which is like essentially aluminum, right? Which is going to make everything sort of like sort of go crazy and start to fight it off. And then your immune system remembers how to fight it. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what happens with vaccines in general. It's almost like programming a computer is how I'm understanding it is like, you're kind of getting this little bit of, I don't know, programming system software, right? And then it's kind of teaching your cells of the immune system how to react when this particular trigger of COVID comes into your system. Yes. And that's why I wanted to talk about this because mm-hmm. I think understanding it in like the simplest terms is like how I wanted to approach this because yeah. some of this I'm like, I don't fully understand, but yeah, putting it as simple as humanly possible and what she said was immunological memory for COVID Mm -hmm. is way shorter than other infectious diseases because of this, because it manipulates the immune system. So that's the reason the vaccine helps is because you're teaching the immune system about the virus without manipulating it, without manipulating the immune system. Right. Okay. That's, and that's, that's fascinating. And it, and it is 
complicated to think about, but I, I do think it's something important to bring up. And I guess my question would be if it, if the life is shorter, is that why people have to get a booster in six months? Yeah. So the reason that the second vaccine is necessary is because there isn't an adjuvant in mRNAs and the booster creates a stronger immune response to the spike protein. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, very interesting. And I know something that like was worrying me was like, okay, well, are there side effects? Like, am I going to have an immune reaction? How is this going to affect my autoimmune disease? Mm -hmm. So something that they were very clear on the podcast was that side effects of a vaccine means that the vaccine is actually working and that your immune system is doing what it needs to do to learn how to fight it. And it's not a reaction necessarily. In order to figure out the difference between side effects and a reaction, some of the side effects that have been proven from the vaccine are things like arm soreness, bruising, swelling, fatigue, headache, muscle pain, chills, joint pain, fever, and menstrual irregularities, which are all potential expected side effects of this vaccination. And it means that your immune system is actually working. Right. And I think to that point, I think the differentiation between getting these symptoms and having this reaction versus what's sort of being interpreted is that it's causing flares in people that have autoimmune disease. And whether that flare lasts a long time or lasts a short time, what I think is happening is that people are thinking that their autoimmune is getting worse because the immune system is reacting. And you're talking about immune systems that are already in fight or flight. They're already reacting to everything. And so now they're causing a flare within your body. And so a lot of people who maybe haven't flared in like 10 years are flaring and everyone's like freaking out. They're like, Oh my God, because we're, we're sick already. Right. So it's like, I don't want to put anything in my body that's going to cause a flare. But I think the big question is, and I know that they talked about this a lot on um, Dr. Sarah Ballantyne's podcast is like the cost benefit analysis, right? Is that month long flare or however long it's just questionable, is that better than the long-term immunological effects of COVID-19. And I think, and, and we're not going to answer that for you. I think it's, but that's the question. Yeah. And, and from the statistics and research that was shown, uh, people with autoimmune disease are not flaring for a long period of time. At, mm-hmm. at the most, it's like three or four days tops as far as right. like, the side effects go. And it's not necessarily your autoimmune disease, but your immune system learning and creating these antibodies towards COVID-19 and, and that there is a very, 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 very rare chance that it actually causes a worsening in on autoimmune disease. It's almost, I did want to mention that severe reactions were a possibility. I wanted to acknowledge that, but just as an example, throughout the clinical trials, 38 participants in the trials had severe reactions but only 18 were actually in the group that received the vaccine compared to 20 of the people that were in the placebo group. Right. Right. Which, and, and the placebo group just for, just for grounding and understanding, just because 
research is hard. I, mm-hmm. I hate it. I literally just took a class in research in school um, a couple of weeks ago and I was like, this is terrible. But placebo group means they, they receive nothing, which is interesting because like, what are they having reactions to? Just anything in their life, right? D- based on their health or it's just things that would have happened regardless mm-hmm. if they had gotten the vaccine or not because right. they didn't receive the vaccine. So whatever severe reactions or health issues that they had in the period of time where they were being studied, would have happened regardless. Right. And, and I think it's important to note too, for all communities, but especially the chronic illness community, like this is a high stress time. Yes. Everybody is really stressed out and it's okay. It's perfectly fine to be experiencing that, but stress is a trigger also. And so I think it's important to note as a factor of that it could be stress causing flares. Like there's so much stress around getting the vaccine or just possibly getting the virus that I think that like is it's fair to just acknowledge that as well. Yes, absolutely. And as far as the cases that we're having anaphylaxis reactions, mm-hmm. um, that is possible, but there were only six people in the clinical trials out of 270,000 that had that kind of reaction. But this is why they recommend people who have multiple anaphylactic allergies hold off on getting it or come prepared with their EpiPen. And this is why everyone is required to stay 15 minutes after your vaccination, just in precaution of that kind of a reaction. Right, right. A severe allergic reaction, which is similar to having a a reaction to something like peanuts where your throat closes and all of that stuff, which you could be allergic to, to anything. So, I mean, not trying to, to belittle that in any way, shape or form, but just, you know, I just want to keep setting everybody and just kind of making it really simple to, to understand. Yeah. And, and I'll explain the one thing that they're, um, questioning might be causing that allergic reaction. Um, when we get into the myth busting, but as far as how you're, you should prepare for the vaccine. Um, like I said earlier, prioritizing sleep, your hydration and nutrient dense meals to give your liver and immune system support plan to take a few days off afterwards, if you can, or have meals prepared ahead of time, because these side effects are normal and shouldn't be worried that they could potentially be more than that. It just means your immune system is working. Right. And I think that that's comforting for me because at the end of the day, all I need to know is like, is this normal or is this something I need to worry about? And knowing it's normal makes me feel better. Yeah, absolutely. And so some of the supplements and things that you mentioned in terms of supporting the immune system with when you were dealing with COVID, do you find that those, some of those things would be helpful for people in preparing for and after getting the vaccine? Um, I probably would just assume that you could continue taking your normal supplement regimen, but they do recommend against taking any anti-inflammatories because you know your immune system should be reacting. And I, I know something that they did mention in the whole view is that Tylenol is like the only thing that doctors recommend. Um, just if you're dealing with like a fever or, you know, something that is really debilitating mm-hmm. that you just can't handle. But I mean, in our world where all we take are like natural supplements, I probably would just continue to take the same supplements that I take. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and making sure that you're eating nutrient dense meals that are mm-hmm. anti-inflammatory and, you know, loading up on bone broth or soups or things that you would just eat if, right. you, know, if you were sick or if you weren't feeling well to give your body a break and make sure you have as much nutrients as possible. Totally. 
so are there people who should hold off on getting the vaccine? And something that Sarah Ballantyne recommended and discussed was that all of these people are encouraged to speak with their doctors about whether or not they should get the vaccines. Mm -hmm. People taking immunosuppressant drugs, if you're pregnant or breastfeeding, if you suffer from multiple anaphylactic allergies, if you have a known allergy to polyethylene glycol, which is one of the nanolipids in the delivery envelope around the mRNA. So that's the thing that they're saying could potentially be causing the anaphylactic reactions is if you have an allergic reaction to PEG, P-E-G, polyethylene glycol. Okay. Um, Which hopefully people will know if they're allergic allergic to that already because it's like probably in other vaccines and and other medications and things like that so yes but technically people with autoimmune disease are not in the high-risk category that need to worry about reactions from the mrnas so that's great news you know like (laughs) makes me feel a little bit more comfortable about it um so do you need to get both doses of the vaccine even if i've already had covid that was something that i you know a lot of people are skipping out on their second dose because they think like one and done, or maybe they had side effects they didn't like in the first one. And we're like, I don't want to do the second one, but just so everyone knows, yes, you should get both doses. The first dose of the vaccine gives you 60 to 80% immunity, but Mm -hmm. the second dose gives you 95% immunity or up to, or around 95%. The reason that the second vaccine is necessary, again, is because there isn't an adjuvant in the mRNAs and the booster creates a stronger immune response to the spike protein. So as far as getting the vaccines, even after you've had COVID, there is just more immunological memory that comes from the vaccines, like Mm -hmm. I mentioned, because the virus can manipulate the immune system. Right. So, so what I think, you know, you're, you're saying here is that a lot of people have been saying, well, I'm not going to get the vaccine because I already had COVID, like I'm totally covered. And so from what I'm understanding from, from your research, that's maybe not hundred percent the case. And, and while it might have a percentage, uh, you know, there's a percentage of protection there, you know, if you are looking to raise that percentage, then considering the vaccine post-COVID might be something that you would want to do. It's definitely something you would want to do. Um, Because again, the virus manipulates the immune system and doesn't help you create the antibodies the same way that the vaccine does. Um, So yeah, I mean, as far as like all that information goes, I know that's a lot, but those are kind of like the top concerns and questions that I had. And I felt like I got a lot of answers from the research and statistics and information that were provided in the whole few podcasts. And, and, and it already kind of made me feel a little bit more. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think just, you know, one thing that we didn't talk about that I think is important for anybody in making this choice is it's actually twofold. So one, I would really like to know which vaccines are MRNA. And then also when somebody goes in to get a vaccine, I mean, I don't even know you go to Walgreens, like at your doctor, like whatever, at what point do you get to ask what kind of vaccine you, you get? Like, how does that work? So luckily now that they're available to pretty much everyone in the country, mm-hmm. most places, when you sign up to get a vaccine, you can specify which one you want. Okay. So yeah, like you can go in there and choose like the Johnson Johnson or the AstraZeneca, if you want. Mm -hmm. Um, the reason that I feel like 
I am more inclined or anyone with autoimmune disease would be more inclined to get the mRNAs is because it doesn't have that adjuvant that could rile up the immune system more than it already would be. Mm-hmm. Um, so the mRNAs are the Pfizer and the Moderna. Okay. So from the research that talk, Dr. Sarah talks about is that both of them are pretty much equally 95% immunity. Um, and the only difference is that one of them, I think, can be kept at like a slightly slightly lower temperature in the refrigerator than the other. Like, But as far as research goes, they're pretty much identical. Um, okay. But they don't recommend to like mix and match. If you go in for your first dose to get Pfizer and then your second dose, just keep keep it up and just probably like get Pfizer for your second time. Um, they haven't done the research yet on like how effective okay. that is, but they do recommend just going in and going ahead and getting the same one for your second dose. Okay, great. Yeah. I think that that's really helpful because just so that people understand, and I would just love to take a little bit of time to do a little bit of myth busting because Mm -hmm. I do think there's so many things that are just being said. And, and I personally (laughs) will listen to those things and, and I've come to you with some myths and you're like, no, Amanda, that's not correct. (laughs) So, but some of them are are really what has been keeping me from getting it. Like, yeah, there are so so many things that I was like, what, you know, I'm like, is that real? Like, and lucky enough for us, they pretty much approach every single myth and question that I had, um, in this podcast series. And I even reached out to Dr. Sarah and asked her one of them that they didn't cover. And she politely gave me an answer and told me that I could quote her on the podcast. So, okay. So let's get, so what, let's go into the different myths. And like, I would really love to, cause I feel like we really covered the immune response piece and the autoimmune piece. And I, I know that that's like number one for everyone's question. Like I would really love to get into some of the women's issues because I, I've been seeing so much about menstruation mm-hmm. and shedding, um, <laughs> and just like all of the hormonal issues, right. With, yes. with pre, you know, preconception and just, yeah, sure. let's, let's dive in to that. We'll start menstruation. Cause you seem okay. to be, I mean, everybody's very interested about this one and, yeah. and it, it only has recently become a concern and mm-hmm. has been in studies, uh, which I think is interesting, but I'm just going to read directly from what I got uh, from the podcast, but she mm-hmm. explains menstruation irregularities need to be added to the vaccine side effects list. And it's finally being studied the why. Um, mm-hmm. So the mechanism of effect through cortisol the stress hormone. Mm-hmm. We know that menstruated irregularities are caused by dysregulated cortisol. As an example, chronic stress. Cortisol mm-hmm. also goes up during infection, and the sicker you are, the more the cortisol can increase. It's a normal side effect from the flu or any illness. It can pause ovulation or delay your period, can cause breakthrough bleeding, can cause temporarily losing your period. And she said that the myth that your period can be affected by living with someone who has been vaccinated isn't proven or possible. So basically the reason for menstrual irregularities is due to stress from at the end of the day, an immune response, right? Like your, your body is fighting off these symptoms from learning how to fight COVID. So they should list it as a potential side effect. 
And from what they have done as far as research and studies since this has become available worldwide, and a lot of people have talked about this being a side effect, is that the symptoms could last for about a cycle throughout getting the vaccines because you have to wait three to four weeks before you get your second dose. So it makes sense that it would affect you for like at least a full cycle because you get one vaccine and then you get another one three to four weeks. Right. But is it like heavy bleed? Like what... What are the symptoms? Is it just like a really just like doozy of a period or people missing periods? Like what is happening? I mean, kind of all of the above, like heavy bleeding is definitely a part of it. But like, like I mentioned, like can pause or delay your period, um, Mm -hmm. through bleeding, temporarily losing your period, like Mm -hmm. extreme PMS. Um, I mean, I experienced heavy bleeding and some fatigue and yeah. muscle soreness before my period when I was when I had COVID. I mean, yeah. also because I was stressed AF from dealing with it. Right. So I'm sure that that increased cortisol in my body. But the good sure. news is symptoms could only last for about a cycle, but will ease when levels of cortisol are reduced. If you okay. already were stressed and had high levels of cortisol in your life before you got the vaccine, it's possible the side effects could last longer as your hormones are balancing. So, I mean, at the end of the day, like stress contributes to hormone dysregulation Mm -hmm. and cortisol can be increased during times of flu-like symptoms or- Right, right. And that totally makes sense. And I think, you know, cortisol rising, you know, affects our adrenals, right. And our entire nervous system. And that's, that's totally a stress response. So I do think that that kind of plays a little bit hand in hand into this flare situation that sort of happens to people after they get the vaccine as well. Yeah. And just again, prioritizing your health, like your mental health, your, you know, because now it's like after you get the vaccine. Um, you're also kind of like faced with these possibilities of like, oh, now my friends want me to go on vacations with them, or like they want me to go out to the bar. Like, should I? Like, do I wear a mask? Do I don't? Like, it's it's a lot of stress again. Like we're yeah. dealing with a very just in a really time. insane time yeah in and life. Like, like yeah, and like I guess from your perspective too, like as far as balancing hormones goes, mm-hmm. it's very important to prioritize liver and detoxification processes, because that's how you flush extra hormones. Yeah. I mean, just entire, just, I mean, in general, you know, I, I won't go too deep into the entire, you know, organ and intestinal system, which you guys all know that I love to do, but you know, a lot of our hormones as well as enzymes are sort of (laughs) regulated and, and made sort of like within the gut and the organs. And that's how everything communicates. And so to Mel's point, making sure that you are just like taking a really good care of yourself, making sure that you're eating healthy, making sure that you're getting the most amount of nutrients possible is probably the best way to deal with those cortisol spikes in, in general. But it does sound like it could be something that's unavoidable with it and it, or just like something that people have to accept as a, as a side effect, like you said. Or again, like prioritizing things like meditation, you know, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people could potentially be nervous about getting the vaccine too. You know, it's yeah. like in just trying to prioritize mental health and, you know, maybe talk to a therapist just about how to stay calm and, and, you know, use mantras and, and keep yourself mm-hmm. out of fight or flight, because I do think that that will help you in the long run, like avoiding yeah. effects and, um, you know, yeah. 
or listen to our podcast on, on mental health and do some of those really cool strategies that we talked about. So episode three, yeah, just a little plug there, (laughs) but yeah, I mean, I think, cause this is the main thing I've heard a lot about recently. And, and that kind of really eased my mind. I was like, Mm -hmm. that makes sense. Like, yeah, like cortisol stress, like totally. It makes a lot of sense. And, and I've just been seeing, I mean, living in the world that, that we live in, I think as practitioners and people who, you know, we're fans of facts we're fans of science, but we also really dabble in the alternative medicine space. Like a lot of people that I follow on social media, like I am seeing a lot of really intense stuff about reactions, uh, with hormones and especially like what seems to be a really big hot topic is this whole thing about people having hormonal issues after spending time with somebody that has gotten the vaccine, which is, I know you're kind of just briefly touched on it before, but I just, that scares me because both of my parents have gotten the vaccine. And so is that something that we have science to debunk? That is something Dr. Sarah physically said, like there is no, no scientific proven research or possibility that that is possible. Um, mm-hmm. so to me, that's, that's what I trust. Cause it's something I can't see or understand. Um, yeah. and, and the facts are facts and that isn't possible. So, yeah. you know, I mean, it could just be again, stress and maybe being worried that your loved ones are getting this vaccine that you don't fully understand what it's doing to right. them and, and you being around them is making you stressed about it. And, you know, again, we're living in a very stressful time. So yeah, I, I, I don't think that's possible. Um, and neither does Dr. Sarah or all of the scientific research that has been done to right. debunk that myth. Um, right. So the second biggest myth I have seen um, online, and I, I really thought that this was real. Like, this is what I've been telling people was like my worry about getting the vaccine. Mm-hmm. So I felt really comforted when Dr. Sarah responded to this question I had mm-hmm. for her um, because I've heard that the mRNAs change our DNA and override the body's innate immune response which if you guys listen to our podcast, you understand the difference between the innate and the adaptive immune system. And at the end of the day, I think the concern was that if this was overriding our innate immunity, eventually, what if we were like, there was some new virus or like some new thing we had and our immune system was like only programmed against COVID-19 and and Mm -hmm. like, how do we fight off that new thing if our innate immune system is only programmed in this one direction? You know, there's something, you know, kind of, I just want to kind of like poke it about the, the innate immune system, because I am obsessed with it as you know, (laughs) and because I have auto-inflammatory and when we talk about autoimmune auto-inflammatory, like people that have auto-inflammatory, their innate immune system is reacting and autoimmune, it's the adaptive, right? So I think it's really important to, to note that the innate immune response is difficult to program because it doesn't have the immune memory that the adaptive 
immune system has. There is no memory there. And that's why people that have auto-inflammatory conditions are consistently getting things like hives and headaches and mouth sores and fevers and all these kinds of things, because it's just continually like freaking out. There's no, there's no memory into what's going on. It's just, it's just inflammation responses. Okay. So I think, so my fear was I'm already in a state of constant innate immune reactivity. And so like, how does that what happens when I put something into that system? And so it sounds like we're able to kind of program it in a way, but to your point, like anything else that comes in contact, what happens then? Mm -hmm. So what she told me was Mm -hmm. that there is no risk of it altering our DNA. It only affects RNA and it only sticks around for a few days in our system. It does not enter the nucleus of our Cells. of the cells. Yes. Okay. So, which is great because the nucleus of our cells is our mitochondria essentially, which is kind of how all of our energy is regulated and, and all of that. So that's great to know. Good news. Yes. And as far as overriding the body's innate immune response, what she said in quotes is that mRNA provides instructions to make a protein. And while it can elicit a mild immune reaction on its own, It's not doing anything to control our innate immune function at all. Once our cells make the foreign coronavirus spike protein, that foreign protein is recognized by our immune system, and it's actually the activation of the innate immune system that is responsible for the commonly experienced side effects. Nope, the vaccines don't override any biological system. Not a thing. So I was like, that's really fascinating. That's pretty definitive. I mean, I'm like, okay, like, (laughs) I mean, that's what I, yeah. And I, and I just want to say like, I mean, that's, that's what a lot of people are afraid of, whether they understand exactly what it is or not. Like I, because I have auto-inflammatory, which about riding over the DNA is because auto-inflammatory and the innate immune response is very much based on your genetic makeup. Mm -hmm. So that's why that comes up right as a question. And I think that for people that have auto-inflammatory and people that have Lyme disease or they have SIRS or mold illness, you know, those are the essential root causes or things that are triggering the auto-inflammatory response. Right. And so for this community of people that are in a constant state of inflammation and reaction, it's really scary to think about putting something potentially into a, I mean, a dumpster fire essentially, right? (laughs) Like it's all, it's a dumpster fire. And like, I personally am not grabbing any cans of oil. I'm trying to put that mofo out. Like I am not trying to make it bigger. And I think a lot of people feel that way. Like they're just like, Hey, my body's freaking out. I'm trying to calm it down. Right. Why am I going to upset it more? And so I do think some of that information is really helpful because I would like to know that my innate immune system is not going to now go absolutely banana hammock and all the work I've done over the last two years to get it to like be somewhat maintained is, is not going to be for nothing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, exactly. Like I've worked for eight years to physically remove everything in my power that could be creating reactions to the point where I've finally 
reached remission. And it's like, that's, what's been keeping me and holding me back is like fear of reaction and of putting something in my body that I didn't understand how, what it would affect. And, and I think just having all this information has, has made it way more clear and helped me put the puzzle pieces together about feeling comfortable no matter what I do, you know, it's like, okay, like (laughs) at least I have the facts now. Jeez. Like this has all been so unclear. Oh, we could talk about it forever, but (laughs) totally. No, totally. But I I think that that is just sort of like a golden one. Cause I, that's really something that's been bothering me besides, I mean, the, the menstrual and the hormonal piece as well. So I, those are kind of the two things. And then the, the pregnancy thing, which, I think, you know, you can talk to this a little bit. I think a lot of people are nervous about getting vaccinated either while pregnant or while trying to conceive. And what I understand from the podcast that I listen to is that one is that they, there have not been enough trials and studies done on women who are actually pregnant for two reasons. One is that it hasn't been long enough for people to give birth, right? That's like one. Two is that the researchers are really careful when it comes to studies and research with women who are pregnant because there's really, there's so much liability and all kinds of things. Like nobody wants to interfere, right? With that. Mm -hmm. But from what I understand, some of the studies that were already in progress had women who became pregnant through the course of this. And so, and also there were studies done on animals that were pregnant. And so from what I have learned, there have not been any negative effects on people during pregnancy. Actually there in one of the studies that were done, there was reports of one miscarriage and that miscarriage was actually a part of the placebo group and the people who did not receive the vaccine. Mm -hmm. So I just want to say that because when I listened to it, I heard miscarriage and was yelling in my apartment. And my husband was like, did you not hear that? They said placebo group. I was like, (laughs) no, I didn't. I heard miscarriage. This is terrible. So that's, that's what's going on. And, and there's more information that's going to come from Mm -hmm. that. The other thing that has come up a lot is fertility, Mm -hmm. fertility with COVID and fertility with the vaccine. And there has not been, I don't think enough information to really, you know, make a claim in one way or another with the state of people getting it and not being able to have babies. I mean, obviously we're talking about this group of women, right. Who are, who were vaccinated and then became pregnant and through the course of their pregnancy, like there's no reported issues. Oh no. I was just going to say to just to ease your mind a little bit is that there has been some data that has come out since the real world application of these vaccinations has gone Mm -hmm. into effect, um, that are just, you know, people out in the world that, have gotten the vaccine that technically aren't reporting back on their symptoms to like, you know, the researchers, right. Right. Real world people. Mm -hmm. But, um, one of the things that I did think was really interesting that if you do want to know more about this, because I didn't feel like I could summarize it enough for our podcast is Mm -hmm. to listen to the final episode of the vaccines from the whole view pod 
podcast where they cover the real world data. I believe it's episode 455 because mm-hmm. they go into all of the information about pregnancy and fertility and all of the things and statistics that have been given since the vaccine started being released to the public. And from what it sounds like, it, it all sounds very hopeful. Um, and something that I did think was interesting was that they've actually discovered that there was a woman that had COVID or had gotten the vaccine that gave birth to a baby that already had some of the antibodies against COVID because oh, from the that's mom. strange. So oh, really? That's, yes. That's wild. I know. Oh um, and I was like, that's pretty crazy. And, and also good news, you know, moving forward into the next generation, hoping to get to the point where we have herd immunity and that the next generation of people potentially are more immune to this and we can eventually eradicate the virus entirely. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I did, you know, I did want to mention that one hopeful fact. Yeah. And that if you want to know more to listen yeah. to that episode, because they yeah. go into it a lot. Yeah, they do. And I think, and one of the other things that they cover also is just, you know, male fertility as well, which I, I do think is really important in regards to the virus as well as the vaccine. Um, and I know that that's something that's come up in my household. And so I was really interested to hear more on that. And, and to be totally 110% transparent there, there's not a lot of information. Like Mm -hmm. there's just not like, it's something that's really hard to track, but listening to, to that episode, as Mel said, would, would give you a little bit more color on, on that particular topic, which I don't think we feel like we have enough information or, yeah, or, yeah. you know, to, to report on. And the good news is with the MRNA clinical trials, the people that were in the trials have to report back for two whole years. So we're still yep. in the beginning stages of finding out long-term potential side effects or, you know, like it, we're still to the point where the research is being done. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that that's also like, you know, hopeful, to know that there's going to be more information coming out from these people that have had the vaccine much longer than we, the community has in public. So I'll move on to the next myth. Um, so the next myth was that this could potentially cause autoimmune disease or worsen mm-hmm. autoimmune reactions. And what they said in the podcast is that this is false for the MRNAs because they do not contain an adjuvant. The things we know cause other allergic reactions or flares in normal vaccinations can be ingredients or adjuvants like latex, aluminum, egg protein, gelatin protein, or antibiotics that are not present in the mRNAs. But that is why we need to prioritize liver function in order to properly flush out anything our body doesn't want there. Again, to reiterate. But <laughs> right, yeah. which I feel like we talk about all the time too. By yes, the way. like yes. hi, liver. We're function. always like flush your liver. Yeah, <laughs> like do coffee enemas, live your live your life for your liver. But yes. I do think, yeah, I mean, I I think that that's a really good point. And I will say, I have not dug in to some of the ethical pieces to this because, like, when you're saying that to me, like, it is flagging as a plant based person, as a vegan person, um, which I just have slowly but surely transitioned into, I have an issue with gelatin and I have an issue with, with egg protein. And, and I'm not only allergic to eggs because I, I am also allergic to eggs. I would not want to put gelatin or egg protein into my body. Right. 
those are disclosed that they're in some other vaccines, you know, mm-hmm. in the world, but they are not in in the this RNAs, one. the Pfizer or the Moderna. Right. Which I'm sure I have in my body from getting vaccinated as a child, but you know. Yeah. Well, technically, yeah. if your liver was working right, it should have gotten rid of that. Yeah. So that's the good news. Next myth is that the vaccine was sped up in creation and was able to override the FDA's standards in order to become available due to emergency measures. This worries me. I will flag this. I am one of the people that are a proponent of this myth. I am spreading it. <laughs> I <laughs> no, am too. Like, yeah. Like I'm like, no, no, no. They rushed it. That no, no. So you're going to be shocked by this then. Okay. So this is <laughs> false. This is false. It's been in development for three to four years. And the research done during the coronavirus that was responsible for SARS back in 2002 and 2003 hmm. helped the preparation of the mRNAs. So they took that research back from that other coronavirus to help prep us for this moment. And the research that has gone into development in the past three to four years was just lucky timing that this happened before this pandemic because it had already been in preparation and the timing of it was just pretty wild that this research and the science was already fully developed when we needed this vaccine. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have totally been like they just rushed this and I'm not into that <laughs> like right me too not spaghetti you growing it at the wall and see if it sticks like no, I and, yeah and this was the craziest thing for me is that the mRNAs were first discovered in 1961 by Sidney Brenner at Cambridge and James Watson at Harvard I mean 1961 like Damn, this has been around for a while and been in development for a long time and apparently yeah. it's one of the biggest scientific like accomplishments in a very, very, very long. Right. And it's not, and it's not what we talk about, right? Like those are not the things that get spoken about. What gets spoken about is like, we're just like, Russian. where is it? Where is it? Where is it? And mm-hmm. then it comes out and we're like, no, 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 you guys rushed it mm-hmm. <laughs> too yeah. fast, too fast yeah. for us. From what Dr. Sarah said, she said that like, the research and science and everything was already like prepped in the vaccine. And all they had to do was like change this one thing specific Mm -hmm. to COVID-19. And Mm -hmm. like, that's why it was so quick because it was already there. Like it was already created and and the research had already been done. And then all they had to do was change the one thing for COVID and then start the clinical trials. So that's really fascinating. Yeah. That's pretty positive to me. Um, and help me feel a lot better about it. <laughs> I was like, well, cool. I so, guess I'll stop spreading that line now. <laughs> part of the problem. <laughs> I am trying but, to be part of the solution, but yeah, oh always part of the problem. But yeah, no, I, I think that that's, that's a big one. Cause yeah. I think that's one that's easy to hear and then be like, saying you know right. yeah I mean, like makes, I totally think that's true it, it makes sense you know like it it would have made sense if they had had to rush this for emergency measures I get it um but the good news is it should be approved within like six months from the FDA like clinical trials have to be like six months of information and research before it's like approved and so I think that's like the only thing that got rushed was that they jumped the gun like before the clinical and the trial approval piece yeah right right, right. I've been around okay. for a while Jumping along into the next myth, you can still get asymptomatic COVID after the vaccine. Meaning what? So like you could, even if you're vaccinated, still 
get COVID, but be asymptomatic and not know that you have it. Okay. So as in, okay. So not having symptoms and then continuing to spread it. Is that the idea? Yes. This is what I've heard that it's like, even if you're vaccinated, you can still get COVID. That's, that's what I've heard. And so I was like, well, that's scary because it's like somebody could have it and not know they have it. Right. Like, Right. that's that's what I was worried about I'm like okay right. so and then also then what's the point of getting the vaccine yeah yeah and so like, I wanted to know statistics about this right so this is yeah. what I have yeah um <laughs> 10 to 20 percent breakthrough infection rate after the vaccine so there's only 10 to 20 percent of an infection rate again after you get the vaccine and and at least half if not three quarters of those breakthrough infections are asymptomatic and the vast majority of the remaining are mild to moderate so that means that we can get to herd immunity which when i heard this i was like whoa okay there's also data that shows that the viral load in the breakthrough infections is lower which means that even if you get it you're not as contagious as you would have been if you hadn't been vaccinated. Again, not as contagious. You could still be contagious. But out of 95 million vaccinated people, the number of breakthrough infections, which was just over 95,000, only 9% of those people had a severe case that required hospitalization. So... From what Dr. Sarah mentioned, only 10 to 20% of the people that have been vaccinated got some kind of breakthrough infection, got coronavirus still, but at least half, if not 75% of those were asymptomatic and the vast majority of the remaining are mild to moderate symptoms. Got it. Okay. But even if you are asymptomatic, you have less of a chance of being contagious. That's complicated. Does that, does that kind of make sense? I mean, it makes sense. A it's, lot of information, but, but yeah, that's a little complicated. Like I, I think it makes sense. Like I, I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it sounds like, you know, all the percentages and everything just make it difficult to wrap your head around. Right. The way that I'm sort of just like hearing that is like, okay, like there is a chance of getting it a very, very small chance. And if you are not having symptoms, which you wouldn't know that you had it then like, let's just like call a spade a spade, right? Right. If you are asymptomatic, you don't know post-vaccination, you probably just like think you're normal, right? Mm-hmm. The chances of being contagious are a lot lower. So that's, that's the way that I'm hearing that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so what is like 75% of 10 to 20% of all the people who have been mm-hmm. vaccinated? It's a very low, very, very low statistic of people that are still getting COVID after vaccination but it also drastically decreases how contagious you are. So statistically, this means that we can get to herd immunity based on the statistics. It means that how much this vaccine has lowered our risks and chances of getting it or spreading it are so low that herd immunity is a possibility. And I wrote down here technically what herd immunity means yes can you yes please tell us what herd immunity means because i i, I kind of get it but i i don't <laughs> and 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 i think you know what i'm trying to do for everyone listening is just kind of 
take the information that Mel is saying, which, you know, is, is clinical and trying to make it a little bit more, it just easy to understand. Right. Yeah, exactly. And like, that's why I, you know, I wrote down these notes and yeah. And you're kind doing of a great job interpreting them yeah. in what makes sense to us because Lord knows I rewound that and listened to that 10 times. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm going to make sure I understand this. Yeah. Because it is it not is. easy. It is no. hard for us. And, and we have, you know, clinical backgrounds. And I, I think that that's important to, to kind of like, just take in is that everyone is not expected to understand all of this stuff that is coming at us from the medical community and world. And if it takes time to, to understand it and, and that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. And easing into herd immunity, questions mm-hmm. also kind of addresses the question of, is it safe to go back to normal life yet? Because we all have heard that mask mandates are being lifted. Mm-hmm. And I know as someone who is in this world of confusion and still trying to determine the right path, that stresses me out, right? Yeah. It's like, oh, well, shoot. <laughs> like, okay. Right. Is herd immunity everybody being immune? So this is what it means. We need somewhere between 70 to 90% of the population to be immune in order for us to reach herd immunity. Okay. What this means is that if someone were to get the virus, that the virus would have nowhere to go. Mm -hmm. So if every person who that person encounters is immune, the virus will stop. It won't continue to spread if we have 70 to 90% of the population that is immune to this virus. So that's the hope. Right. And right now, 50% of adults in the country have been vaccinated, excluding everyone under the age of 12 who can't get it yet. Okay. Today. That, that was my next question. Like, how many people have been, like, what the percentage is? Because that, I'm curious about that. And I, and I think, you know, selfishly and just sort of putting it in relative terms, right? Like, mm-hmm. I'm having a wedding and 150 people hopefully we'll be there more or invited and how many, what does that percentage look like in the real world? Right. Mm-hmm. Am I wearing a mask with my wedding dress or am I exposing myself to getting COVID if I'm not vaccinated? And I think that's like, that's one of the things that is just very putting in just very normal life things that are happening. Yeah. And then it also goes into the concern of like the variants, you know, and there mm-hmm. is a variant booster in development that will hopefully be released in the fall is what has been announced. Um, but this is, I'm just going to read this to you because take mm-hmm. this how you will, but this is what Dr. Sarah said in her, in her research and her studies, as far as what she has predicted mm-hmm. and announced is that data from updated vaccine studies shows a very low chance of catching COVID-19 from surfaces now. One mm-hmm. in 10,000 is about the oh, chance. Wow. But we can stop disinfecting groceries, you know, like to the point yeah. where we, we're there, um, right. which is good news as far as like moving forward. But what she does say is you can skip wearing a mask outdoors Mm -hmm. if you can socially distance, but should still wear one in crowded outdoor spaces. But wearing a mask indoors is still very important. Six feet is not enough indoors without a mask, and depending on airflow, 30 feet is what science suggests. With everyone wearing a mask, studies of kids in schools show that three feet is a safe distance with wearing masks. And I think that that's important because 
children under the age of 12 are not going to be able to be vaccinated until clinical trials are over potentially Mm -hmm. at the end of 2021 or beginning of 22. Right, right, right. We have some time on that. Um, and that is still kind of a risk factor of like when schools will be able to come back and, you know, like all kids under the age of 12 are not able to get it yet. So yeah, as far as the mask and concerns go, um, I know I will continue to wear a mask in public settings, um, mm-hmm. but I think, you know, a lot will play out in the upcoming months. And I think just paying attention to how much percentage of like the country has been vaccinated. And that's why I think for people who aren't able to get the vaccine, it is that much more important for the people who feel comfortable and confident in getting one will help us get to herd immunity. Right. Where people, you know, like you who have a wedding um aren't at risk so that's kind of where we're at Mm -hmm. um that's all the information that I have and as far as like how I'm feeling moving forward I I do think that that's why if we're able to get to the point where 70 to 90 percent of the country is vaccinated um and we reach herd immunity we're hopefully able to stop the spread of this virus once and for all and getting to the point where weighing the risks for me of getting this Mm -hmm. compared to the stress I experienced getting COVID um, to me now it it feels more clear because Mm -hmm. the that just the stress in my life and in my family Mm -hmm. and and in my health and everything was just so debilitating and I'm now also experiencing what potentially could be long-haul symptoms I mean I've only had it for three weeks but I still have a bit of congestion um I've heard from a lot of people it can continue to affect your menstruation and so I won't know you know for a couple more weeks right what that's gonna do to me but um the good news is that like I've also heard that getting the vaccine can also potentially help eradicate long haulers symptoms of COVID, which is good. I think for a lot of people who have been struggling with that, because there is not enough research or any research done at this point about how to help people out of that cycle. Right. And we don't know what long haul even means. Like, I think it's a lot easier to talk about long Hall symptoms of things like Lyme disease, because this has been going on for tons of years. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, this is going to be stuff that these studies are going to go on a really long time. I mean, like our kids' generations and generations, I mean, because like, you don't know. Yeah. A year is not long haul, you know? Yeah. And Dr. Dr. Sarah did mention that like, they are kind of trying to develop some kind of like Tamiflu thing. Um, Mm -hmm. in specifically for COVID, which, you know, who knows if that's actually going to play out, but, um, something she did also mention is like long haulers also could potentially be from persistent infection, which like just kind of is similar to Epstein-Barr virus with mono, Mm -hmm. where if your immune system is, um, burdened to the point where you could have a flare from COVID-19 and have, have symptoms from that. And something that um, Stacey Toth of the podcast mentioned is that when she got her vaccine, she 
kind of felt like she had COVID all over again, but she's wondering if that was just eradicating like the infection that was still dormant inside her body and was kind of like a rare thing because she had had COVID before. Right. Right. So I thought that was really interesting because it's like, okay, well then if I get it, like that's something I might need to look out for because I have now. Yeah. But yeah, totally. it's, it's kind of, I know that like this has been tough, but I feel like that this has been very necessary. Um, and, and like I said on Instagram the other day, like I just haven't, I can't ignore this anymore. Yeah. Especially now that I've had it, I know I needed to get educated on it because yeah. there's been so much misinformation and confusion and stress about this topic. And yeah. I just want to help people feel more comfortable and confident, um, navigating this new world. Yeah. And that's totally fair. And I think, I think that the information is, is there and it's continuing to be found out and the clinical trials are being done and people are doing the work. And so I think we all need to just keep open minds and just keep our eyes open to what's happening and be really, really discerning about who we listen to, what type of information, and that we are questioning everything. Every single thing should be questioned Mm -hmm. and like dig into it. And if you guys are curious about things that you can't find information to, reach out to Mel or I, and we will try to find it for you. And, you know, we'll use our resources and, and we'll do the best that we can to get you guys an answer that it's supported by evidence and science. And, and I think that that's, that's what is key in making sure that we, you guys have the newest information and best information out there. Yeah, for sure. And again, please, I urge you to talk to your doctor, you know, if you're struggling with making a decision, um, we're not trying to tell you what to do mm-hmm. and we're still trying to figure out what we're doing. And, you know, yeah. this, this is a long and personal decision. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I, I've kind of gotten to the point where I'm, you know, as things ease back into normalcy and I'm around family members, like, I don't know if I'm going to feel comfortable being around my grandmother, unless either I have a vaccine or stay 30 feet away from her. It's just, it's getting to that point. Um, and, and I feel more comfortable, much more comfortable easing into my next steps after receiving all of this information. So I cannot thank the whole view podcast enough, Dr. Sarah and Stacy Toth. And I, I really appreciate yeah. all the research they did because it was like seven hours of podcast information. And I don't even know how long. Good for you for all that listening research. to it. I mean, God oh. bless. Cause I <laughs> told you I would, I listened to about half about yeah. half, right? It was like seven. I listened to a couple. Oh, but, you're, you're in grad, like you're in school and have a full-time job. Like, and yes, you but, too much but on your plate, but it's great information. And, and you, you know, you did a really great job of sort of summing that up. Yeah. I think that, yeah, just, you know, guys just continue to, to do the work, um, in question and, and yeah, reach out to us, talk to your doctors, talk to people that you believe are, you know, the, the true influencers, not, not the influencers of drink this coffee. I don't know the, the influencers that I mean, that influence decision-making in terms of doctors and, and people, scientists, right. Yeah. Um, that have the information. 
Yeah, but we we will probably be skipping hot goss this week because this has been a long yeah. podcast. And I'm sure you guys are all as exhausted as we are about this topic. But we just want to thank you guys from the bottom of our hearts. And, and we hope you know that we are just here to help you feel better, to help you find wellness. And we care about you guys more than anything. And that's why we're doing this. That's why we're putting ourselves out there in this way. And, and we, we hope you guys take from this what you will, and, and it helps you make a decision for yourself and your health. And we love you guys. And we will talk to you guys soon. Yay!